If you want to turn to 1 Samuel, we're going to be in there this morning. We're, going to, we're honoring you who are mothers today. Having our daughter, our oldest daughter, being a, a mother twice now, and um, my wife watching our grandkids once a week, I've gotten a deeper appreciation for the hard work that it is to be a mom. <laughs> I mean, it's something, I guess, you know, maybe you're more observant or maybe I'm more observant. Uh, I mean, it's made me real appreciate how much it meant for my wife to have four children and, you know, up, I mean, just the physical part of it, you know, what a mom gives to pour her life into kids. And... Um, so thank you, mothers. Uh, today we're, I'm going to kind of, uh, both in honoring mothers, and last Thursday was National Day of Prayer. Um, I'm going to talk about the power of a praying mother today, kind of putting those together. Um, and um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll be to it in just a little bit. Um, Will you pray with me, please, as we get started? Father, I thank you for the examples that you give us in your word uh, that point us to you and, and point us to how you call us to live in relationship with you. And as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us and encourage us and and challenge us, you know, where each one of us is at, what we need. Bless this time, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read you a poem. This is honor of, in honor of mothers. This is a classic poem that probably many of you have at least heard the last two lines. Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace in the palace, cottage, hovel. Oh, no matter where the place. Would that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy's the tender fountain. Power may with beauty flow. Mother is first to guide the streamlets. From them, souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil, sunshine, sunshine streamed or evil hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Woman, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod, Keep, oh, keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry. And the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. 
That's true. It's true. I'd like to just share snippets of two men who changed the world and why they changed the world to start with. The first is Augustine. Um, if you haven't heard of Augustine, you need to read a book, kind of like Cindy encouraged Daniel to, or, or read history. Augustine was one of the men who changed the world. He, was, he lived a long time ago, even before I was born, 354 A.D. He died 430 A.D. He was the Bishop of Hippo, and that doesn't mean that he blessed hippopotamuses, okay? In case for those of you, that's what you were thinking, Brian. <laughs> Hippo is in modern-day Algeria, okay? He was a Latin-speaking philosopher and theologian who lived in the Roman African province, which like is today is modern-day Algeria. And his writings were influential in the very development of Christianity. According to his contemporary Jerome, another very famous theologian, Augustine, quote-unquote, established anew the ancient faith. This is a significant man. When the Roman Empire was starting to disintegrate, Augustine developed the concept of the church as a spiritual city of God and profoundly influenced ancient worldview. Christopher Dawson, who wrote St. Augustine and His Age, writes, he was to a far greater degree than any emperor or barbarian warlord or king, a maker of history and a builder of the bridge which was to lead from the old world to the new. That's Augustine. The second one, not impacting the world in the same way as Augustine, but, but impacting the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. His name was Hudson Taylor. Um, Cindy and I left for the Philippines in 1984 um, with our two youngest children. Our third was born there. And we went under the mission that Hudson Taylor began. He lived from 1832 to 1905 and founded the China Inland Mission, which at his death had 205 mission stations over 800 missionaries, and over 125,000 Chinese believers in what is known as China today. He spent 51 years in China. Hudson Taylor. What made these men, and I could go on and on. It was kind of confining it to a couple. I could go on and on, kind of going along with this poem, asking what made these men the men that they were, men who impacted the world. Well, here's a little biographical snippet of Hudson Taylor. When he was 18 years old, he wandered into his father's library and he read a gospel tract, like a little booklet on the gospel. He couldn't shake off its message and finally, falling to his knees, he accepted 
Jesus is his savior. Well, later, his mom wasn't home at the time. His mother, who had been away, returned home. And when Hudson Taylor told her the good news, she said, I already know. She said, 10 days ago, the very date on which you tell me you read that tract, I spent the entire afternoon in prayer for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son had been brought into the fold. And her wayward son brought into the fold has changed the lives through him and through the thousands of missionaries that have continued on what is now Overseas Mission of Fellowship has changed the lives of hundreds of thousands, millions of people and brought them into the fold through the prayers of a mother. In, in his autobiographical Augustine's Confessions, and if you've never heard of it, I'd encourage you, it's a paperback. It's, it's his autobiographical story, Augustine. He details his story, and I'm confining it. It's, I would encourage you to read it, Augustine's Confessions. Raised by his godly mother, Monica, he rebelled and threw himself into a wild life as a youth. He took a mistress. He devoted himself to the Gnostic heresy, Manichaeism, which is a belief that the body is evil and that salvation is only possible through a secret knowledge. It's Gnosticism. But his mother's prayer prevailed. These are his own words in his confessions. He says, Almost nine years passed in which I wallowed in the mire of that deep pit and the darkness of falsehood, all which time that chaste, godly, and sober widow, and that's him describing his mother, ceased not at all hours of her devotions to bewail my case unto you. And her prayers entered your presence. Another praying mom that changed the world. So this morning we'd like to consider another, and his name is Samuel. If you're in 1 Samuel, if, you, if you're in this Bible, it's page 211. I'd like us to con- consider Samuel. Before we look in um, 1 Samuel, though, um, I'd like to turn to Jeremiah 15. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. Jeremiah 15, page 585 in this Bible. And I want to just read one verse, and it's, it's, it's an, an important verse as we begin to think about Samuel. Jeremiah 15.1. And this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is a prophet of God to a, a rebellious and a wicked people, the people of Israel. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. The Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for this people, I wouldn't help them. Wow, that's a a sobering verse. But what I want you to see this morning is the height that God holds Samuel and Moses up to. 
I mean, Israel is a wicked people, and they're soon to be given over to the Assyrians and deported. It will be no more because of their wickedness. They've totally turned against God. They're even sacrificing their own children on altars to pagan gods. And God says, even if Samuel and Moses were to stand before me and plead for this people, I wouldn't hear them. And what I want you to see, again, see this morning is how that holds up Moses and Samuel because God is saying, these two guys are so esteemed by me and so righteous in my eyes that even them, even if they in their righteousness and my high esteem were to stand before me, I wouldn't listen. The wickedness of my people is so great. What made Samuel to be such a man? Well, we're going to see the same thing. It was a praying mom. A praying mom. So if you're in 1 Samuel, I'd like to read a little bit here this morning. Starting at verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. And he was the son of Jeraham, Elihu, Tohu, Zuf of Ephraim. You don't have to name your kids any of those names, okay? <laughs> Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah did not. And that's kind of the background of our story. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. And the priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. And on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Panina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would only give her one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Panina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. And year after year it was the same. Panina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. If... Um, if the men don't get anything else out of this story, it's that, you know, that polygamy isn't a good idea, okay? <laughs> Verse 8. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Well, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. And Eli the priest was sitting at his customary seat beside the entrance of the tabernacle. And Anna, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, and seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought that she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded? Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am 
very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again and was no longer sad. And if we were to keep reading, you'd see the story of the birth of Samuel and her raising of Samuel and then offering of Samuel back, like she said, to the Lord, him serving in the temple and eventually becoming the judge of Israel. What do we learn from Hannah here? Just three things I want to kind of capture about Hannah and the power of a praying mom. The first thing we see about Hannah and her praying is that it's desperate. It's pretty obvious, right? She's desperate. When do we pray? I'd say that's when we pray most, isn't it? (laughs) When we're desperate. When a friend is dying. When we're at risk of losing our job. When our marriage is failing. When our life seems to be falling apart. When we're desperate. That's when we pray, isn't it? Hannah's desperate. She wants a boy. She wants a son. You see that? She wants a son. She wants a son. Verse 10 captures it so well. She says, it says, she was in deep anguish, crying bitterly. What about us? I think so often our praying, if we pray and when we pray, in deep anguish, we pray just enough to get by. Just enough to, um, just to be comfortable again. We're too easily satisfied. Uh, I, was, I was thinking this morning, man, what a great crowd on Friday night uh, that we had. Like Daniel said, there were two, 32 young people that were, that were being honored for one reason or another that were involved in case management. And actually, I'm going to give a little advertisement here. There were way more kids than there were mentors. What, as you're hearing me talk this morning about the power of a praying mom, you could think in your mind, the power of a praying mentor. That's what a mom is. And I tell you, we have a lot of kids. Erica told me the other week, we have almost five new young people every week signing up for case management. That means setting goals to see their lives changed, whether it's education or job training or housing or, or whatever it is. And we need mentors that would come alongside these kids like moms and pray for them. Um, so talk, talk to Pat Steele. He's not here this morning, or you could talk to me. I tell you, what a, what, a, what a valuable ministry you could have with a young person. But I'm thinking about all those young people they're here on 
Friday night. And how many of them aren't here on Sunday morning? We need to come to the point to where we're not just satisfied, (laughs) whether it's with the young people that enter our doors every day of the week here, or the person that you're going to school with, or the person that you're working alongside or live next to, that we come to the point that we live life from an eternal perspective. We see that there's a heaven and we see that there's hell and we're desperate. We're not satisfied that, that we just maybe help them get a job or, or help them, but, but, but we're desperate for, for Jesus to change their lives for eternity's sake. It's the first thing I see, but Hannah was desperate. We need to be like Rachel. It's the story that goes back before Hannah, where she didn't have kids. Leah had kids, and Rachel didn't have kids. And she says to Jacob, she says, Give me children or I die. She was desperate. We need to be desperate. If we're going to see our world change like, like Monica changed the world through Augustine and Hudson Taylor's mom changed the world through him. If we're to change the world through others that we impact, it's going to be because, first of all, we become desperate. We realize that something's got to change. We've got to be desperate. God, give us kids whose lives are changed, or we can't, we can't just keep doing it day after day, week after week, unless we see lives changed. God, give me children or I die. Give me spiritual children or I die. God, bring revival to this community or I die. God, bring salvation to the youth who pass through these doors or I die. Desperate. It's the first thing we see with Hannah. But but if it stopped there, it wouldn't be enough. The second thing we see from Hannah is that, and the second word is determined. Being desperate isn't, isn't enough or we could just have a nervous breakdown, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, sometimes it's overwhelming, isn't it? The needs, we need to be, not ignore them or be easily satisfied. We need to be desperate. We need to be determined. She let nothing detour her from her praying. I want you to notice that. She let nothing detour her from her praying. Look at verse 8. Her husband says, why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted? Quit crying. Just because you have no children, you have me. It wasn't enough. She wouldn't let her husband's attempts to show her compassion and love deter her from her desperateness to want children. She wouldn't let false accusations detour her. Look at verse Verses 12 through 14, again, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli, the high priest, is watching her. He sees her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she'd been drinking. Isn't that amazing? And he says, must you come here drunk? Throw away your wine. And this is, the, this is like the, the pastor, as he sees this lady in his congregation, praying with intensity and anguish. He, he's accusing her of being drunk. 
But she didn't let false accusations stop her like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll just, I'll go pray somewhere else or I'll, I'll quit praying. She was determined. She didn't let the godlessness of the times detour her from praying. And it was a godless time. This time period right now is the time of the judges. And if you turn back to the book just before Ruth, the time of the judges, it's, it's where in Israel it says, everybody did what was right in their own eyes but not Hannah. She didn't let the godlessness of the time. What is it? We, we let so many things detour us. People saying, oh, come on, come out and play. Or, or our tiredness, <laughs> our busyness. Our, I mean, there's so many. Hannah let nothing detour her from her praying. Not the godlessness of the religious system, if you were to flip over to the next chapter, verse, chapter 2, verse 22, it says, Now Eli was very old. That's the high priest. It says he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. This is Hophni and Phinehas, the, the two priests that were under Eli. It says he knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. That's the times. Everybody's doing what was right in their eyes, including the pastors here, the priests. But that didn't detour Hannah from her desperate determination to pray and to cry out to God for a son. What would you fill in the blanks? I'm too tired, too busy. Not Hannah, determined. The third word is devoted. As I look at Hannah's prayer, she was desperate. She was determined. There was nothing that was going to stop her from praying for a son. And she was devoted. She was convinced that her only hope was God. And this is significant because if you flip back to the beginning of chapter 5, it's like Aunt Hannah, like so many of us, think we have a reason to be angry at God and, 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 and to seek an answer somewhere other than God. Look at, look at verse 5. It says, Elkanah, though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. It's an interesting phrase. Look at verse 6. It says, So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. I mean, Hannah, Hannah had every reason in her desperate determination for children to be looking somewhere besides God for the answer. Because it says here, it was the Lord who had kept her from having children. But Hannah knew that her hope for children was God. It's not where the other people in Israel were at the time. It was the time of the judges. Everybody doing what was right. The priests themselves, godless individuals. The people, like I mentioned earlier, sacrificing their kids on altars to other gods. So why wasn't Hannah seeking help from other gods? Because she knew that her hope and that true hope was in God alone.
And not only does she appeal to God alone for the son of her desires, but notice she promises that when God gives her that son, in verse 11, that she will dedicate that son back to the Lord. Give him back to the Lord. And what he became as a result of such a mother was a man who changed his world because of a desperate, determined woman who was devoted to God. It's the kind of praying that, and the kind of people that it will take to change our children and our world for the glory of God. But now some of you are thinking, because there's probably at least uh, two-thirds of us here this morning that aren't moms. I'm not a mom, in case you wondered. <laughs> and you're thinking, man, I got off easy this morning because I'm not a mom. I don't need to do what Dave says. <laughs> so I'd like to conclude with two thoughts for those of you who are thinking those insidious thoughts when you shouldn't be. Garrett? Yeah. <laughs> the first one is, I believe, and I believe this really strongly, that the difference praying moms have made in our world is because dads have abandoned praying. I mean, the reason we have a poem like I read to start with is because so often it's the moms have, that have been the one that have been praying for their kids and not the dads. And like I mentioned earlier, we... Well, let me, let me read First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to what it says. It says, In every place, Paul says, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. Prayer isn't the role of women, but of all who long to see God change their world. And so we need praying moms, and I, I'm thankful for praying moms, but we need praying dads and praying people. Number two, kind of going along with what I said, we live in a world where the family is in shambles, right? And you know, one of the biggest things that burdens me and it burdened me again, and I thought about it on Friday night when I saw all these young people there. The question I ask in my mind is, I wonder how many of these young people have a praying mom or a praying grandma. You know, one of the biggest things that has impacted so many people is that despite how far they've fallen or how wild they've gone off, somewhere back there they've had a mom praying for them. <laughs> or grandma praying for them. But you know, we live in a world today where there's moms and grandmas and grandma grandmas that aren't praying. And there's tons of kids out there that don't have praying moms and they need praying spiritual moms <laughs> and praying spiritual dads. We could call them mentors. I don't want to harp on that too much. <laughs> they need others who will come alongside and be spiritual praying parents.
parents for them. Man, I think it would be so exciting that if every kid who walked through these doors, and there's a lot of kids that walk through these doors. Last year, through these doors, 500 different kids. In Port Orchard, 111 different kids. That's 600, over 600 different kids. I wonder how many of them had, have somebody praying for them. Think about it. Out in this world, with all the temptations and all the troubles and all the distractions, and not have anybody praying for you. I'm thankful for a praying mom. I'd just like to challenge us today as I, as I kind of wrap it up. Will, will we be those people? Would some of you take it on and maybe right, right now in your mind, maybe you haven't thought about it, of some young person. If you don't know of one, well, we can connect you with one. That you would commit to praying for. Be their spiritual mom. Be their spiritual dad. You don't have to be a biological mom and dad to do this. And you don't even have to be old enough to be a mom and dad to do this. Just commit to being a spiritual parent to someone who needs someone praying for them. Consider the following. It's a a neat little story that I read as I was preparing. Up in in Maine, and this this was many years ago, the spiritual situation wasn't good. The churches, it seemed like they were dead. But there were a few godly people who said, you know, we're not pastors, and we don't know much about the Bible, but something's got to be done. So let's pray together for our town. And what they decided is that they would center this small group of people, they would center their prayers together on one person. And so they decided to pick the hardest person in their town. And they prayed for him. And in one week, he was converted. As all these people together prayed for him. And so they thought, this is pretty cool. (laughs) So they centered their prayers upon the next hardest person in town, who's now the hardest person, I suppose. (laughs) And soon he was brought to Christ and his life was transformed. And they began to do that with one person after another. And within a year, over 200 people in that town their lives were changed through praying people. Well, preparing for this sermon about the power of a praying mom was good for me because it challenged me again to be desperate. I mean, there's people I know and I've known for a long time whose lives are in shambles I mean, they're hurting, they're broken, and I haven't been desperate enough about them. I haven't been determined enough about them to plead with God for them, recognizing that only God can change their life. Will you be that person, that spiritual mom, that spiritual dad?
And just think what it would do to our community if we become those people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimonies of praying people who have literally changed our world through the people that they have prayed for and the lives that have been changed. God, help us to be that kind of people. People that pray and see what you do. Father, thank you for prayer that you've given us that we can come before you, the God of the universe, and and pour out our hearts to you like Hannah and know that you hear us and that you will answer as we do that, as we keep doing it. God, help us to be that people. In Jesus' name, amen.